And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. Today in the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with a man that just sang that song, Fred Cole from the Weeds, except now, in the year 2009, we're up to his brand new band, The Pierced Arrows. So today on the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Fred Cole and... Tootie Cole of the Pierced Arrows, who are playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on Saturday night at the Railway Club with the Pierced Arrows. Also playing in Vancouver this weekend is Agent Orange. And opening up for Agent Orange at the Cobalt are Plus Perfect, Life Against Death, and The China Creeps. And here is a song by The China Creeps playing with Agent Orange this Sunday at the Cobalt called Rash. And then right after that, some Pierced Arrows, and then an interview with The Pierced Arrows. Here are The China Creeps opening up for Agent Orange with their song Rash, Sunday at the Cobalt.
are you? Mm. Who am I? Yes, who are you? I am Tootie. I'm the uh, the basis for Pierce Jarrow's. Uh, previous to that, with Dead Moon and also the Rats. Uh, come from Portland, Oregon, born and bred. And uh, like I say, uh, my mother uh, was Canadian. She was a, a war bride. And uh, so half my uh, Canuck relatives are still up there somewhere. And uh, I've always had... Um, uh, a big personal affinity for Canada, and we're all looking so forward to uh, being able to come up uh, with this particular band and have a chance to play Vancouver. Uh, we did um, a short run, um, oh, a few years ago, I think in '04, with uh, with Dead Moon, where we went back and played the Auto Blues Festival and played. And opened up with I Hate the Blues. Yeah, and um, and uh, you know, but we didn't happen to go to Vancouver that particular run. So, uh, like I say, it's really. Uh, we're all very excited about uh, being able to open up some new yeah. turf, and we we miss Vancouver like crazy. It's uh, it's it's another city that's got I have a real special affinity to. And Tootie, who is that voice that we hear in the background? Who else is in uh, Pierce Darrow's? That would be me, Fred. Uh, Fred Cole, uh, alias uh, um, oh shit, whatever the fuck, Raj, uh, uh Guru. DIY master. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and we're missing one other pierced arrow. We're missing a pierced arrow, aren't we? There's one other member. Yeah, we're missing Kelly Halliburton, our drummer. And uh, he's probably still at work as we speak, but, um, um, you know, you'll all get a chance to see him. And um, he's uh, been a really important component in this band. And great showman, and uh, you'll all dig him. And you're playing tomorrow night, Saturday, February 21st, at the Railway Club with The Manipulators and The Vicious Cycles. Now, right off the bat here, Pierce Darrows, whose idea was it for you guys to run in a marathon? <laughs> oh, that, that's kind of been Fred's idea for forever. We both have been uh, kind of athletic from the time we were kids. In uh, 1983, especially, um, all three of our children were long-distance runners, so that particular year we all ran a lot of races here in the local area. And uh, it's just been kind of one of those challenges or one thing that's on your top ten bucket list that you got to do before you die. And um, all of our kids have run marathons, so we just decided, hey, and Fred just had, for whatever reason in his head, like some people do, well, I'm going to jump out of a plane when I turn 70 or whatever the hell it is. For him, it was the year I turned 60, I'm going to, I'm going to run the marathon. So we, uh, we all did it together, uh, uh, Fred, myself, and our, and our son, Whedon. Now, did you guys practice at all? Fred, did you practice at all? Because when Joe Strummer did marathons, I think Joe Strummer did a marathon, he just did it without practicing. Did you guys practice at all? Yeah, we built up to it because we basically have kind of come from a dead stop. I mean, we're pretty active people, and we feel like we're in okay shape but and have a lot of just natural stamina. I mean, any, anybody that can go on a, you know, on a tour and play 60 dates, okay, has got to have a, a certain amount of stamina, okay? So for us, it's kind of like, you know, touring as heavily, heavily as we did in Dead Moon, uh, we thought, well, okay, we can do it regardless. But we didn't want to go into it cold, and we were getting, you know, all this shit from our kids of, oh, God, you guys, I mean, you know, come you on. Go to the doctor, you're 60, you, you better out. be checked out. You better be Good something. Back. So we thought, okay, we'll put a certain amount of training in, which, which, which we did. We trained for, I don't know, about maybe six to eight months. And we, uh, uh, on top of that, we did, we had one day off after the marathon to recover, and we started the U.S. tour, which was a six-week tour. 
So that was a that was a mother in itself. Was, was that at like 5 a.m.? Additional challenge. And what was really cool? What was really cool is that Tootie and I are both heavy smokers, so we're at the back of the pack, and the morning of the marathon, we're there at 6:30 in the morning, and you know they only allow the, the runners into the area because there's 9,000 people that are going to run this thing. So we're in the back, and, uh, you know, of course, I had my cigarettes with me rolled up in, in, in the bottom of my running shoes uh, and socks. And so Judy and I are back there smoking cigarettes before the state's going to start. So you can only imagine the looks we were getting. We're the only smokers that are smoking big time. And, and I got my black, you know, I was wearing Dead Moon T-shirt and uh, my scarf and my uh, uh kind of looks like a uh, boy. Oh, actually it was a baseball hat that uh, one of my kids got me that said uh, in dog years I'd be dead right now. Okay? <laughs> and uh, so it was a pretty cool thing. Did you guys stop for a smoke on the way? Because it's like a six hour run. Did you stop no, at all? No, no, no. no, actually we didn't. But as soon as we were done, we did. Yeah. And then you, the it's next... like being on a plane, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And then it was the next morning you went on tour at 5 a.m.? Not the next morning, the day after the day that. day after that. So you had one day of rest. Yeah. Yeah. In the well, pierced arrows. More or less kind of gimping, and then we had a, gimping around sore as hell. But then we had a uh, something like a 10-hour to 12-hour drive to get to the first gig that we were playing. We were actually playing uh, San Francisco the next uh, gig, which took uh, 12 hours to get there. So, yeah, it was a long... A long haul. But like I say, touring, if you've done it for years, uh, you know, and we pretty much toured, you know, a every year um, since 1990 with yeah. Dead Moon. So that, that gives you a lot of stamina. It really does. It's, a, it's an incredibly hard thing to, to pull off. Tootie and Fred of the Pierced Arrows coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night, Saturday, February 21st at our Railway Club. Canada, as you had mentioned to me earlier, plays a big part in your life. I was looking at the documentary on you guys, Unknown Passage, and there's a photo of the Pierced Arrows, Dead Moon, your family, in front of the Empress Hotel in Victoria. Oh, we used to so love going up to Victoria. Yeah. We took, Fred and I took several trips uh Oh, on our anniversary, and then at one point, um, when our kids were in their uh, all early early teens, uh, we went up there for a family vacation. That might be the photo that you're talking about. But yeah, I, I love Victoria. It's just uh, it's amazing. We go up even north of there on the island and uh, go to the the uh, trolley races or the uh, what do they call them? Uh, um, you know where they have the the trotters the the. Harness racing. Harness, harness racing. Yeah, harness racing. And go up there and lose our ass betting on all the best-looking horses. Right, exactly. That would always lose. Okay? <laughs> uh, I don't know. No, but it was a kick in the butt. Yeah, it was, it was a fun trip. Uh, before we thought our kids would get too old to appreciate it, we took this long trip, and we went up through Canada, went to Victoria, and then basically drove all the way through um, through Canada and then crossed down into New England and New York and Boston and whatever, and then came all the way back through the country. So that was good preparation for touring then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we've just we've got the wanderlust in our soul, you know? It's just the way it is. And, well, I'll uh, tell you. Always love road trips. You don't want to park 
in Saskatchewan in the middle of the day and have a picnic. I've never seen winds so high. Oh, my God. As go blowing through Saskatchewan. <laughs> okay. And that's where my mother was born, yeah, by the way. And, oh, my <laughs> God. Okay. You guys have had quite... you got to love them, right? Oh, God. Uh. You guys have had quite a connection to Canada. The Yukon, also in the Unknown Passage movie, yeah, it mentioned yeah. the legendary tale of Fred and Tootie of the Pierce Heroes, who I'm speaking to right now on the Nardware Human Survey Radio Show, coming up to Canada or trying to come up to Canada a couple times, not getting across, getting across. What's the stuff in Yukon story? Because you have a lot of stuff lying in Yukon, don't you? That you've never claimed. I find this fascinating. Well, uh, basically, um, at, the, at that particular point, uh, Fred's... Uh um, maternal grandmother was living up in Spenard, Alaska, and so our whole plan was to drive up the Alcan when it used to be nothing but a gravel dirt road, and uh, and we were actually heading to Alaska. We just never quite make it. We broke down outside uh, Whitehorse, made friends with people there, found out that you were even American citizens at that particular point were still allowed to homestead. So we homesteaded some property up there. Um, 100 acres. Uh, 100 acres uh, off of Fox, Fox Lake, Lake, kind of on the road up to, toward Dawson Creek. And um, it was one of the most amazing experiences of our life. And um, wouldn't take it back uh, for a heartbeat. Uh, but we happened to get really homesick, and Fred just decided on a whim one day that we would just drive back home to Portland for Christmas and then come back. But uh, so we did, and uh, unfortunately, when we got to the border, uh, they had kept records and said, and this is still during the Vietnam War era, and um, so they just said, hey, when you guys crossed the border, you told us you were just traveling through Canada and going to Alaska, and we go, yeah, that was our intention, but you didn't go there. You settled in Canada, and now you want to come back, and we think you're a draft dodger, Fred Cole, which he was happened to be exempt at that point because he had too many children, but for whatever reason, they go, well, I'm sorry, we're turning you back, and hey, here's all the paperwork, and you can apply to Ottawa and wait around for this and that and blah, blah, blah. I think at some point, I actually filled out the paperwork and submitted it, but it's like they never got back to us, and it was just like, hey, we just wrote all of our friends and said, hey, take whatever's out there, it's all yours, because that's kind of uh, the way things work up there. And uh, with uh, you know, abandoned property, and uh, we made some amazing friends up there. Have you ever thought about going back up there and looking oh. for any stuff that maybe oh. was buried? Like, did you have some secret safes buried no, anywhere? No, 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 none of that. But uh, we would love, we keep talking all the time between us and our children. Thank at that, at that particular point, it was just our, our oldest two, who were only like three and one and a half when we were up there. But uh, we still talk about taking a family trip up there just to see... Uh, you know, what it's like now, and I, uh, that's still one of my big dreams, and at some point we will accomplish that, I'm sure. <laughs> we will accomplish coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, oh, yes, tomorrow yes. night to the Railway Club, playing in Vancouver the first time since at least, I think, the mid-90s. What's the history of you guys playing gigs in Vancouver? How many gigs have you played in Vancouver? And Fred, how many gigs have you played in Vancouver with all the different bands you've been in? 
Well, the, the only band that we See, really... I've always played Vancouver. Well, we came up there a lot with our punk band, The Rats, and this is when DOA and the Subhumans and all these guys were great buds of all of us, and everybody was just kind of traveling up and down the West Coast, and Vancouver was a big, big thing in that. And so we used to go up there all the time and, um, you know, just did some... Some great shows oh, in, different, in, in, different, in different clubs. Uh, did you play with the Enigmas at all? Do you remember the band The Enigmas from Vancouver, yeah. BC, Canada? We probably did. We played with the Scissors a lot. The Scissors. And, uh, and I, I still remember uh, there were several amazing kind of squat gigs, okay, where, you know, they'd have a beer in a bathtub and uh, somebody, you know, people keeping lookout up the staircase to make sure the cops didn't come and bust the gig. And, oh, my God, in the, staircase the punk days were amazing. The, if the cops came up, they couldn't get past all the people. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> did any did any of those Vancouver bands go down to visit Fred and Tootie at all, or oh, play yeah, any gigs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Several of them came out and stayed at our house. And like I say, all the bands at that particular point, from not especially L.A., but from San Francisco all the way up the corridor, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, all of us were continually going up and down, yeah. the, you know, the, the you know the whole circuit, and uh, th throwing gigs, this and that. One of the other ones that really sticks in my memory is uh, one of the guys in the Subhumans. They were renting some house that was uh, slated for demolition, and they were getting evicted anyway, so they threw this incredible house party with all these bands, and uh, basically we helped them tear down the house that night. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, but no, great times. <laughs> and great times still with the Pierced Arrows tomorrow night at the Railway Club. We're speaking here live to Fred and Tootie from the Pierced Arrows. You're coming up to Vancouver. What about Canadian casinos? Like you guys enjoy the Kino. What about Canadian casinos? Have you been to any Canadian casinos? Or what do you think about the casinos oh, in I general? Yes, I haven't. Have. Well, which one? We went to the ones down there in... Uh yeah, the the best ones that we found. Uh, maybe you guys got better, but the best ones were were down there in that one. Uh, is uh, you know by Edmonton stuff. Uh, what what uh, Edmonton? Oh yeah, Manitoba, we actually we actually hit a couple in Manitoba. On, on maybe it was Manitoba. Yeah. But anyway, they had the best payouts and this and that. Uh, Ottawa was okay. Uh, they had pretty good ones. Montreal had pretty good ones. And they're, then they're, um, you know, the payouts varied so much. But uh, If people are wondering, what do you guys play and how do you play it? We play Kino. We play Video Kino. <laughs> video Kino. With a vengeance. And we play <laughs> the cheapest Video Kino there is. And we play... Usually nickels. Multiplay yeah. if we can. What about all these casinos that are on the I-5 now? Like when you drive from Portland to Vancouver, you're seeing casinos everywhere. What do you think about the Northwest casinos that are popping up here oh, and there? They suck. <laughs> well, the, the only one that we go to a lot is the one in Pendleton, Oregon. Um, the, the ones in Oregon are okay. They pretty much have, like I say, the same odds and the same payout as the casinos in, say, Nevada. When, once you get up into Washington... They're more into card rooms, and or you can play nothing but quarters, and you know a lot of times you're, you know, yeah. you're playing these weird games that have absolutely no good payoff if you you know actually hit your number. So uh, we've we've learned to um, you know pick and choose between between what's going on. But. 
We'll, we'll check out whatever you got up there. <laughs> Fred and Tootie, you have the pierced arrows now. Uh, I say the pierced arrows because there was a boat in Vancouver, BC, Canada, a sailing boat that I kept on calling and putting an S to it, like the name of a boat, the pierced arrows, the pierced arrow. That was the name of the sailing boat. So I kind of think of the sailing boat when I think of your name. And then actually, it makes me kind of think, you guys are into making things. Have you ever made a boat? Is there a pierced arrows boat? No, actually, actually, neither one of us really like the water that much. <laughs> uh, Fred's more into flying. He's uh, one of his dreams is to get a plane and uh, which we're working know, on right now. Show for us around, you know, in a, in a plane to get to the gig. Flying to the gig instead of driving. <laughs> so, Fred, you've so never go in the air, not the water. <laughs> you've, you've never worked on a boat at all, Fred. You've never done anything on a boat. No. No construction, like you never kind of seen an old boat lying around and just thought about fixing it up in the backyard or anything. Well, yeah, I have a canoe in our in our backyard right now that I'm the fiberglass canoe, but that's about as big as I want to get into yeah. and 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 float down a creek. Uh, I've you know with with boating and stuff like that, I love looking at old pirate ships and stuff like that. But man, visualizing you know, I'm I'm not a real strong guy, okay, and I and I really uh freak about being in water uh that's like more than about ten feet deep. Because <laughs> um, there's some neat there's some neat things that you can do with a boat. I don't know if you remember Erin Yankee at all. She did a radio show in Portland, Oregon on KBOO, mm -hmm. and she was in a band called Nowhere, and they would only play gigs that they could sail to. Oh, that's a riot. Oh, that's funny. So they were based out of Portland. You know, they could do Vancouver. They could go to Seattle, but they couldn't do any inland gigs because they would only sail to the gigs. I thought that was kind of a neat angle, to you me, know. I, I always, uh, it's always funny as to uh, which people water appeals to, yeah. which people air appeals to, uh, which people, you know, just traveling on the road uh, appeals to. And uh, it's kind of a whole different element. I mean, for Fred, his, his big adventure was when he was, I don't know, eight or nine years old and, and he and his little cousin built this raft and sailed down some river in Washington and uh, you know decided they were going to be uh, you know Huckleberry Finn for the for the day and freaked everybody out so <laughs> that's kind canals, of canals are more my thing you know like I love the fact that you can go anywhere in Holland via the canals yeah uh, it, it, on a raft or a, a boat or whatever because so many canals, but you know, it's like my thing's always been flying. I love the air, and uh, I'm bound and determined to buy a plane, but at some point, be able to avoid all the crap with airports and airplanes and everything else. Load all of our gear into a plane and be able to fly to Europe or anywhere in the world right now because. If you buy a plane that's, you know, even, even just a twin prop, uh, you can get just about, actually, I think I, you can get anywhere on the planet in a twin prop plane. Yeah, island hopping, whatever. Yeah, island hopping. and. Um, oh, I'd love to see that, the pierced arrows flying up twin you know, propped well, plane to Europe. That would be... We grew up in the days of Sky yeah. King, which you probably yeah. won't even know what I'm talking about, but hey, it's like I say, it's, it's been a continual dream of his. And I want to be Sky King. He actually had a pilot's license at 16. He's going to have to renew it at some point, but... Um, actually, I actually had a pilot's license at 15. Yeah, so it's going to be one of those things yeah. that, that'll be another uh, lifelong dream that I, I totally uh, believe will achieve at some point.
Well, well, the Kingsmen, yeah, they were kind of a little bit before our day. They're just a little bit older. But um, for us, the 60s scene in Portland um, goes back to uh, when I first met Fred at the Folk Singer and then um, Whitey Davis, who ran that place, uh, became their, their manager. And then he opened up the Crystal Ballroom, which became uh, part of the Family Dog Network. And uh, so that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. For Portland bands, I mentioned the Kingsmen. They were a bit before your time, but you know Mike from the Kingsmen, Mike Mitchell. Yeah, he, lives the... right a... yeah. he lives about a mile from us. Yeah. We see him all the time. And, and he was the guy that played guitar on Louie Louie, yeah. wasn't he? Yep. He's the guy that... He's the one responsible for figuring out Louie Louie. He was down in Tillamook uh, or Seaside, Seaside Oregon, and heard the song on a jukebox and was so overwhelmed by it he tried to remember how it went. He went all the way home. Well, not only that, and, the story he tells us is he kept putting nickels or whatever it was at the time over for and a over. jukebox and playing it over and over again. And he's the one that convinced all the other guys in the band they had to learn this song. Mm -hmm. So they learned the song. It became a big hit. Would somebody like Mike have any money from that hit? Did he make any money from that hit? Does he get any money today from that? I, I don't know from personal uh, knowledge, so, but, but uh, I would expect at some point they did. At this point, uh, anybody uh, rather than the original version pretty much uses the Kingsman's version. And uh, it kind of uh, was the um, was the start of what they want to call the Northwest Sound, Seattle grunge, whatever. You know, whether it was the Sonics coming out of Seattle later on, whatever. They everything just kind of happened at, at some particular point. And there's always just kind of been um, this history out of the Northwest um, that uh, we come up with an unusual sound. You know, and it uh, it gets uh, you know. Just, different levels at different points of uh, notoriety, but uh, it's pretty much, uh, hey, like they say with Olympia beer, it's the water, and the fact that we're drowning water all the time, it kind of makes sense, you know, but there, there is a particular sound that's always been kind of underground and, and, and grungy and dirty and this and that that's kind of come out of the Northwest from a long, a long time back. Couple, you guys, we're, you just, guys we're just another part of that tradition, you know? <laughs> You guys, honestly, and believe me, Billy from the Scissors, uh, D uh, Joey from DOA, uh, Subhumans, uh, you guys have got a shitload of bands up there in Vancouver that have made their mark, that are more so from Canada on the punk scene down here in the U.S. than any other city, uh, in our opinion. And maybe there's, you know, maybe everybody else goes, oh, no, there's more bands from out I don't think so. I think the Northwest, and when I say the Northwest, yep. I include Vancouver. And I always do. And it's different and from the East Coast. You, you know guys, that, don't you? Oh, yeah. You, guys, <laughs> you know what we're talking about. And you guys have got your own little sound. Portland's got its own little sound. And then there's Seattle, who's got its own big sound. Yeah which was Pearl Jam and, you know, all the big bands. Yeah, Soundgarden and Nirvana and Alice in Chains. Unfortunately, and... you know, uh, Portland and Vancouver both uh, are, have always been in the shadows, and I think that uh, both these towns are uh, I more think, of an influence I think luckily on so. everybody else than Seattle ever was. I think that what came out of Portland between... Um, the Wipers, uh, Napalm Beach, Everclear, uh, a bunch of other bands.
and out of Vancouver, DOA, Scissors, Subhumans, whatever, made more of an impact uh, on all the bands from Seattle, like, like I say, Pearl Jam, uh, uh, Soundgarden, and Soundgarden, and I think Alice in Chains, Mudhoney, Alice in Chains. You know, there's always a city that gets all the glory, but there's always the other cities that it takes to get them there. And uh, I think Portland and Vancouver are pretty much in the same boat. We always sit on the sidelines and we watch the big city get all of its crap, okay? It's like uh, basketball teams, okay? We got the Blazers. You guys had the Grizzlies. Um for a while and uh, this and that, but uh, I love you guys. Well, we love the Pierced Arrows, and people can check out the Pierced Arrows. I'm speaking here to Fred and Tootie from the Pierced Arrows, who are playing tomorrow night at the Railway Club in Vancouver with The Manipulators and The Vicious Cycles. And I wanted also to add just about the Kingsman. Do you guys know Jack Eli? He was the original singer of the Kingsman. And I always found it interesting. He's the guy that actually sang Louie Louie, but it was always Lynn Easton, the drummer that appeared on TV singing that song. Well, I met Jack... Uh Back in about 1968, we played a festival here in Portland with those guys, and I'm sure he doesn't remember crap about me, but whatever. He, he's, he's a great influence on the, all the whole community and uh, this and that, you know. But, uh, yeah, he's a great, uh, a great person, and, uh, uh, but uh, as far as him knowing who I am, I, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> You know, I don't know whether it, it, that's been, uh, oh my God, probably 40 years ago when I met him. Okay? So that's. Fred, what do you think is the best pressing plant to get a record pressed at in North America? Like the best pressing plant. I'm not talking about the lathe, but the best pressing plant for vinyl. Bill Smith Records. They press nice, thick records, and they started. Uh, the company in 1948, which, which is, happens to be the year we were both born yeah. in, so, so it's the best. We got that and connection. The <laughs> Man, it's the only place to fly. They're located in Los Angeles, California. El Segundo, actually. But. El Segundo, and they are absolutely. Uh, we've got everything. They kind of do it old school, which is kind of where we're at, and yeah. we've uh, worked with them from day one. Was there ever a record pressing plant in Oregon at all? Not that nah. I'm aware of. Yeah. There was one in Vancouver for a while, IRC. Did you ever deal with them at all? No. No. Because you have an actual disc cutter, a lathe, that cuts the acetates. Now, when you're cutting a record, because you have the giant machine that cut the Kingsman's Louie Louie, you get to scrawl stuff into the acetates, like little messages. Do you scrawl messages in, Fred, regardless if the bands ask for them or not? He has just made it a point to do that, and he uses this little tiny screwdriver to do it. This band. Yeah. <laughs> but he always uh, just kind of became a tradition. He started out from the first record he ever did, and it's just kind of uh, a way to hope that people put it under the light and kind of look at it and see, okay, well, what did Fred write in this one? What is he thinking right now? And uh, I think he's just kind of always done it um, impromptu. And uh, Don't some of the bands ask for it, though? No, no. No bands have asked for it? No. Oh, really? He has just taken that upon himself to just do that. What? 
bands have you guys produced? Like, I know one of your earlier releases or productions was with the Miracle Workers. At least that was one of the first ones that came through. What can you tell the people about the Miracle Workers? Because I have one of the early singles, and it says, produced by Fred Cole. Yeah, well, that's kind of the only record he... Well, not the only record. He actually produced uh, another one by... Um, 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 a, a, a different local band, but he produced the Miracle Workers first. He has really hasn't done that much producing, but um, he basically went into. Uh, I'm uh, lucky to produce, you know, exactly what we're doing. Moon. But he, he just went into a couple of practice sessions with them and had them change this, do that, whatever. At some point, he's talked about getting into producing, but you know, at different points, he uh, loves doing his own music, and uh, that's kind of a completely different role. It's kind of like going from actor to director. But, um, you know, at some point, I think he would be amazingly excellent at it. They were from Portland, Oregon, a pretty amazing group. And believe it or not, when I interviewed Courtney Love years ago, Courtney Love was just not enjoying the interview at all. I guess she just didn't like talking about Portland and stuff. But then I mentioned the Miracle Workers, and she went nuts because she loved the Miracle Workers. Do you remember Courtney Love back then in the 1980s, say, in Portland at all, Fred and Tootie? We've known that little girl since she was 15 years old. Yeah. She bought her first guitar, or her daddy bought her first guitar in our uh, music shop that we had then, Captain Wizigles. But, uh, yeah, at, at that particular point, when she was just growing up and just getting involved in music and uh, learning how to play and, and, and getting her first bands, uh, the Miracle Workers at that particular point were kind of, you know, the, the, the big band in town and uh, were getting the most notoriety and, and all the rest of it. So it totally makes sense that uh, they'd either... Uh, stick high in her memory or uh, be an influence on her. Do you know if she still has that guitar and has she bought any guitars from you since? And have you seen her since? As far as I know, she probably doesn't. Uh, what she happened to buy was a Rickenbacker that was a prototype, which is probably worth a mild fortune right now, that we happened to uh, go down to the Rickenbacker factory and talk to the original owner, F.C. Hall, and we happened to buy a bunch of stuff from him and bring it back to Portland and, and sell it. And um, so, like I say, this is all really incredibly rare stuff. But knowing Courtney, I'm sure she doesn't. And I haven't really uh, talked to her or seen her um, since she uh, first left Portland. I think we ran into her on one of our European tours in Dead Moon in uh, early 90s. That was the last time I've spoken to her. Fred and Tootie of the Pierced Arrows coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night to the Railway Club with the Manipulators and the Vicious Cycles. You're from Portland, Oregon. The Garden Burger. Was it really invented in Portland, the Garden Burger? I think so, and what's really funny is our daughter Amanda actually worked for that particular corporation for a while. <laughs> yeah. But I, I believe so, yeah. And, I, I believe it originated here. And what's that place, Burgerville, USA, like? Because I always see that sign when I drive through Portland, a Burgerville, yeah, USA. 4,000 miles till the next... Uh, it, it's basically, uh, um, you know, again, a, a chain that originated here in Oregon. There's, there's a bunch of them that have. And uh, to tell you the truth, I've, I, I've never eaten there. I, I, I see their uh, advertisements all the time, and uh, they make it a point to uh, do local things like Marion Marionberry shakes and uh, this and that and whatever. I understand their stuff's really good, but... And when you're driving over bridges and stuff, I see signs that see Janssen, and I think of Janssen Swimwear. Is Janssen Swimwear from Portland? Oh, definitely, yep. 
So you guys invented the... So's Nike, so's Intel, so's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Portland's a pretty amazing place, you know, between all the microbreweries and different corporations that have uh, started up, Columbia Sportswear, again, local products. Um, I heard that Viewmaster was invented in Portland, too. Oh, well, that one I haven't heard, okay? That's a good trivia question to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys do... not surprise me at all, okay? You guys do know about beer. What about Weinhardt's beer? What can you tell people about Weinhardt's beer? Well, I just hate that they tore the old factory down or redid whatever. Really the, cool. the original Henry's Brewery was in downtown Portland, and every time, uh, from the time I was a high school kid when I first started going downtown, you could smell that brewery all over the whole town. And, uh, and it really stunk. Oh, yeah, but it was awesome. But at, and at some point, I forget who, who bought out Henry's Weinhardt. I, yeah, I don't know, Miller or somebody uh, else did. But, <clears throat> but that, again, was a, a, local, um, uh, a local company that started out here in Portland. Your beer definitely rules over ours, okay? I'll go for Molson <laughs> Or, or uh, you know, you guys got a bunch of beers up there. Yeah, what do you recommend that people drink to Dead Moon, the Pierced Arrows, etc.? Well, well, what we recommend is that you drink you drink the bar dry, regardless of what your choice of you know of poison is. I drink Yukon because Jack. because okay. we love it, and yeah, that's our favorite whiskey, which is again a Canadian thing. Has that happened much that the bar has been drunk dry during a Pierced Arrows or Dead Moon show? Oh, especially with Dead Moon, but I think Pierce Jones is coming up to the mark as we speak. How how happy was the bar owner for that? Do you get paid extra if the bar goes dry? Well, hey, they just love it. That's the reason we get booked over and over again. <laughs> they love the fact that everybody has a great time at our shows and um, and uh, that it's just, uh, like I say, kind of like a family reunion. Uh, what's your smoking law up there right now? It's two heavy smokers. I think you might have to step outside, yeah, but I guess there could be probably exceptions made. Unfortunately, in Oregon, they just no. passed the law at the beginning of the year, so we're just still trying to get used to it. We've been yeah. used to it in, you know, pretty much all the other states, and <laughs> and now Europe's following suit, so we'll we'll learn to live with it. <laughs> Fred and Tootie from the Pierce Arrow speaking to me, Nardware to Human Serviette, live here on CITR Radio. This is a question about snow. You live in Clackamas, Oregon. How has the snow been? Because this past winter in Vancouver it was terrible. How much snow did you have, and was it the biggest snowfall you've had in years? This, according to our records, was the biggest snowfall in 40 years, <laughs> which happened to be funny because the last winter that we had that was this hard was the year our son Whedon was born. So this year, uh, we went, uh, we had planned a trip down to Arizona to celebrate uh, Fred's mom turning 80 on December 23rd. And then I turned 60 on December 30th. So we went out to the airport, and naturally everything got canceled. We got stuck out, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, blizzard-like conditions for two days outside the airport. Finally got out of town, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, it was the hardest winter we've, we've seen in Portland for so long. I mean, it's unusual because we're basically at sea level or I think maybe 120 feet above sea level. And this is one of the years where even snowed several times at the beaches on the Oregon coast. So it was really an unusual weather. And, you know, we always thank you Canucks for, uh, you know, getting the jet stream down our way. You know, otherwise it doesn't happen. Yeah. But we've, you know, we had so many incredibly mild winters. And I love snow, it's just great. I remember it happening, you know, all the time when I was a kid. 
and now it's just kind of a, this rare occurrence that happens every 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, to where it's more than just a dusting. Did it affect yeah. your properties at all, like your house or the general store? Did you get anybody to shovel snow off it? Did it well, affect the properties at all? Everybody had to shovel snow, and basically, when snow hits Portland, the city shuts down. And it was the first time I had ever seen, we were coming back from a, you know, a Christmas party, a family Christmas party, and, and coming down into Portland, and they're showing signs everywhere, chains required. I can Portland never Metro. remember a time in my life when chains have been required. And all these people are pulling over, us included, with our, our new chains in the bag, and all of us are sitting off the side of the road scratching our heads like, oh, my God, how do these things go on? It's like you carry them, you know, just in case. But it's like none of us have any skills with this. We don't know what to do. <laughs> and so we kind of just limped our way home, and, oh, man, it was just uh, this, this city just completely shuts down. And, and it got actually at some point cold enough to where even the de-icer didn't work, this and that, whatever. So you just learn. Just, you just stay home. You ride it out. You do whatever. You just look out your window, keep warm, and enjoy it. But our, our biggest nightmare was when we came home from uh, this road trip down to Arizona is that between our pipes being frozen and the electricity being shut off and, you know, all this other stuff, that our uh, we have we're on a well because we live clear out in the country, so uh, the the motor in our uh, in our pump worked itself into submission, <laughs> and so when we came home, we had to uh, pull that out, put a new pump in, and you know all the rest of it. But hey, that's the way she goes. <laughs> How about the general store? Are you guys still operating a general store? Uh, actually, we decided over this last year when we turned 60 yeah. that we just wanted to completely lose all of our retail businesses and not have the uh, the responsibility and the headache and just concentrate on our music and this band. So um, uh, we actually sold that particular business, and uh, a new couple are operating it, doing a total bang-up job. What was it before? It was a burned-out building, and then you guys took it over? And again, we're speaking here to Fred and Tootie from the Pierce Arrows. Like, you had your own Tombstone General store. It was like a fifty store. What was it before, and how long did it take well, to fix up? We've done a bunch of different businesses. I mean, the original uh, building that we had with Tombstone Music was just kind of a, had been an abandoned building for, oh, many, many years. And then we built onto that first, and then after that we built this other big complex, which you, you probably see in the, like in the documentary where Fred's putting sheetrock and whatever up in it. And this is like a, a big western-looking building that's got three units on the bottom and three units on the top. And in that building that, that we built over about five years' time span, uh, we had this general store that we operated from um, uh, 2000 until just last year. And uh, and then at some point we opened up uh, like a, a you know like a Dollar Tree type type place called uh, Tombstone Buckaroo, and we uh, did that for I don't know four six months something like that. Just didn't take off, <coughs> but that was all in this uh, this uh, complex that uh, that between Fred and all of the employees at, at Tombstone built. I hate to change the subject, but Mike promised me. The opening bands are going to kick ass. He said these, these, both these bands, is there two or three bands from Vancouver that are playing with us? There's two. Yes, two. the Pierce Daryls, and we're speaking here to Fred and Tootie from the Pierce Daryls. You'll be playing with The Manipulators, which is Mike's band. 
of course, are going oh. to be awesome. Oh. And in the vicious cycles, who have a theremin? And that's all I got to say. They have a theremin in their band. Okay. That, that, how can you go wrong with the theremin? There's a couple bands in, in Portland that are using using those again. <laughs> no, that's great. Oh, cool. Speaking of old stuff, you guys have toured Europe so many times, vintage Europe. What's Hamburg like? Did you ever see any Beatles stuff there at all? Like, I've always wondered about Hamburg and the Beatles. What's it like there? I, oh, God. Hamburg's, Hamburg's uh, one of our best gigs it, ever there. Yeah, it's, it's a great place to play. We usually yeah. always play a place called Fabrique, which means factory. And uh, it's this old um, factory with these huge wooden beams and uh, and um, wooden nails through Everybody the whole thing. Everybody on the planet played this with, place. Uh, with a big balcony around yeah. it. Uh, it's just an amazing place. And uh, Hamburg's a really amazing city. I've never kind of... You know, gone in to see where the Beatles used to play and this and that. I mean, oh, it's the type, well, we we've been up there. and down the Reaper Bond and, you know. The first time we played in Hamburg, uh, we wanted to play, we were dying to play this place, the Beatles played. It's, it's a show place. But it's so small to go, yeah, well, you guys, we, we had sold out the place that was like about four times bigger than this place, and it was a little pee hole. It only held, uh, oh, maybe 200 people. Yeah, it was a Molotov, thought, I think. Oh, my God, the Molotov. And we go, yeah, well, where is this place the Beatles played? And you go, yeah, well, it holds like 50 people. And we were just amazed. It was like, you know, in incredibly crazy. But, uh, you know, um, you know, what can I say? But for a scene to happen, um, you never know. Uh, we played places that were insane, uh, you know, people on top of people, uh, I mean, to where uh, the capacity is like 200, so guys walk Thank in. Thank God they don't enforce their fire code yeah. laws, okay? Guys walk in. <laughs> no, to tell you the truth, guys walk in carrying, do you know what piggyback is? That's when you have somebody on your back, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Or on your shoulders. Usually okay. it's guys so with their guys girlfriends on their shoulders. Guys put their girlfriends on their back so they count as one. And they have to hold them there the whole night. Okay? Basically, they, we played what we call piggyback gigs to where these guys all go, yeah, okay, well, we have 100 capacity. If you can get your girlfriend on your back and she doesn't weigh 400 pounds or more, yeah. cool. Okay. Uh, man, you know, it, it, it's insane because they count that as one person. So you got 200 people in some of these gigs that you that should, cannot... That in the States, you'd be lucky to get 50 people. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> it's insane. You know. when, you guys are, when you guys are touring, you're smoking and stuff. When was the last time that you emptied the van ashtray? Well, that's another road superstition. <laughs> You never empty the ashtray, or you never empty it completely, because if you do, the van's, the van's going to break down. Yeah. That's when we learned a long time ago. That means your used tires are going yeah. so to go before the You always dead. leave two or three butts in the ashtray, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What have 
your gigs been like in Austin, Texas? I mention this again because the South by Southwest Music Festival is coming up, and that's always a great place to see bands. What have your gigs been like in Austin? Have you played South by Southwest? Oh, yeah, we played South by Southwest once. Our gigs in Austin are always amazing. It's one of our favorite towns to play, and we're actually going back again uh, to Chaos, play uh, Chaos. Chaos in Tejas, which they do in May. And so we're kind of booking a, 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 an abbreviated U.S. tour around that.
Heroes coming up to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night to the Railway Club with the Manipulators and the Vicious Cycles. What was it like playing with the Black Lips? Did you play with the Black Lips at the El Rey Theater oh. in California? That was so much fun. Yeah, we actually did uh, uh, oh, a bunch of days with them, uh, kind of, uh, you know, up, up and down the I-5 corridor. And, uh, and, and just this uh, last U.S. little bit run that we did, uh, and they happened to be in town in Atlanta and came to, came to our show. They were in the studio uh, recording their next and album. And scored us a, a coal goddess. Coal goddess. A keno sign. A keno sign from a casino. <laughs> No, that they that they had kicking in the back room. Yeah. But yeah, those guys are so amazing. Killer. They're really great. great band, and uh, really we're, we're hoping uh, again between both of our bands to end up going on tour again. Uh, really appreciate what they're doing. We, got, we just of fun. got along famously, yeah. and they've been big fans from the time you know they were little kids, and we both really dig what what they're up to. And uh, so yeah, we had so much fun on that tour. It was just great. Do you remember them from when they were little? No. Coming to your gigs or anything like that? No, no. I, 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 I think from the fact that they're from Atlanta, we're from Portland, that's a light years away. So I don't know if they, um, I don't know, maybe they, they had a, a chance at some point to see Dead Moon Live. But, um, you know, at this point it was just more about they kind of know uh, Fred's history and respect all the different bands he's, he's been involved with and, um, you know, whatever else. And they uh, happened to personally request us for this tour, and we happened to both book through um, uh, the agency out of New York, so it just happened to work out and line up, and we just had such a great time. It was really cool. So Fred and Tootie from the Pierce Daryls winding up here. One of the bands playing tomorrow night, as I mentioned, is the Vicious Cycles, Motorbikes. You guys have played biker fests in Europe? In your documentary, Unknown Passage, it looks like to be a biker fest that you're oh, playing. It's a full-on biker fest. This was in, um, in Slovenia, um, not in Ljubljana, but outside in the country. Um, up towards Mariebo, I think, and uh, again, that's uh, again, it's part in, in, in the documentary. It was uh, it was an amazing thing to do. And years ago, Fred has had his experience playing for different biker fests with the Hell's Angels and God knows what in, in California. So uh, that was kind of the continuing link with that. But no, that Angels was, from Hell. Yeah, that was a you know a, a really fun thing to do. I've been looking for that movie, Fred, because you were in that movie apparently from the waist down, right? Well, yeah, because they didn't want to pay him because they have to pay him as an actor if he's speaking words, even if he's just singing. So that's what's funny is that all of his things ended up on the cutting floor, okay? <laughs> he thought that was a riot. And they actually made him join ASCAP before he did that, <laughs> but they didn't want to have to overrun their budget or I don't know what the problem was. So they show all the other members of the band who are not singing, just playing their instruments, and they never actually show Fred's face. You can just hear him. <laughs> You guys have toured Europe many times. Music Maniac has really helped you out. What about the Fuzz Tones? Music Maniac has also helped out the Fuzz Tones, right? Yeah, the Fuzz yeah, Tones were really. basically, uh, you know, the the you know king of the mountain on, on, on their label at, at one particular point, and they were um, uh, a very big European touring band and, and, all, and all the rest of it. And uh, Hans uh, Kesselo, who owns that particular label, happens to be a real big 60s freak, so... I think that's part of why he gravitated to the Fuzz Stones because they were kind of doing that retro 60 thing that was coming back at that particular point. But then he kind of always wanted to um, 
uh, get a hold of Fred since he was uh, kind of the real mill deal, you know, who actually um, had been in a band in that particular area, and he very much respected what he had done in the lollipop shop. And uh, so one of the first tours that the Wipers did over there, um, he contacted Greg Sage and and asked Greg to get a hold of Fred, that he wanted to talk to him. And so when Greg got back home, he was a, a regular customer in our in our music store, Captain Wizzigle. So Greg came in and said, hey, uh, you know, this guy got a hold of me, you know, on tour and blah, 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 blah. Is okay if I give him your phone number? And Fred said, yeah, sure, whatever. And so after that, they got in touch with each other and worked out a deal, and it happened to work out just great. Thank you, Greg Sage. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> and Tootie, what about yourself, though? I've noticed, searching the Internet, that there are songs tributed to you. Like, there's this band, Slobbery Dognose, that has a tribute song to you, Tootie. Well, that's the first I've heard of it. Uh, Slobbery Dognose. Where, where are they from? I think they're from Europe. Are there many tributes to Dead Moon Pierced Arrows? I think there have been some compilations, haven't there? I would imagine there is, yeah. There, there was one compilation that uh, um, a local record company here, uh, here in town called uh, Last Chance uh, did a thing over the net and just uh, kind of put out a blurb and said, Hey, anybody who wants to do, uh, you know, a cover of any Dead Moon song, let us know. We want to get a compilation together. And they thought, well, we don't know what response we'll get. Um, and we're in, in contact with one of the guys, Mark, who comes to a lot of our gigs. And they were just overwhelmed. It took them eventually like two years to get the project done because they had so many submissions from all over the world. And um, it, it's a compilation that came out called In the Coal Mine, C-O-L-E. And um, it was just uh, blew us away that we had people from Australia, New Zealand, all over Europe, all over the U.S., and local artists as well, uh, you know, doing great, incredibly great versions of uh, the songs that Fred had written. And um, it just totally floored us and floored them as well. Like I say, they, they got the response from hell that they didn't even expect. And it's like, uh, in my mind, he's such an amazing songwriter and a very prolific songwriter. And uh, um, Well, thank you, my darling. He, he, he writes such a, an incredible variety of songs that touch people on so many different levels. And to see who picked what and why and, and, and their renditions of different songs was just something that's really amazing. At this point, we still uh, love hearing versions of our songs from what you know from whatever era, and um, it's uh, so complimentary. It's really been uh, one of the sweetest things in life for both of us. Yeah. Well, hopefully people will see you in person tomorrow night at the Railway Club. We're speaking here to Fred and Tootie from the Pierced Arrows, who are playing the Railway Club tomorrow night with the Manipulators and the Vicious Cycles. However, if they don't make it, I don't like to say this, but if they don't make it, they can pick up, and I've been alluding this the entire interview, that amazing DVD, Unknown Passage, the story of Dead Moon, Fred Cole, Tootie Cole, the Cole family. It's incredible. And in the documentary, the DVD that I saw, it has some great cable access footage of one of your bands, The Rats, on the Dan Halverson Show. What was the Dan Halverson Show? That's amazing cable access Portland footage. Well it was just this completely local thing. It's almost like what KBU is to town, which is a community radio station. Uh, this cable access show came out during that particular period, and it was kind of the same thing. And they just came up 
with a you know a local thing where they had a lot of different bands on there, and there's some footage of uh, the the Boy Wonders, which Andrew was you know affiliated with before uh, we ever got Dead Moon together, and um, it was just uh, one of those crazy local things, totally low budget, this and that. We were just happy as hell by the time these guys tried to get the video together um, that somebody had actually taped it and hung on to the tapes and they'd been able to locate them and whatever. Cause it's, That's what I was wondering. A lot, is. a lot of time gone by, you know, and at different points we didn't know that they were basically doing all this stuff live, so we never even knew that they taped all this stuff. So it was just uh, an amazing thing. I thought that you guys might have taped it. Cause no, Fred no, no, no. This was just the cable access station. But you had some sort of video store, didn't you? No, we just always had just a music store with guitars, amps, drums, you know. Well, I thought that, Fred, you might have had like a super-duper VCR before anybody else had a VCR. Uh, no, we've never been high-tech. Trust me, baby. <laughs> We're still trying to catch up with the last century, let alone this one. Also in Unknown Passage, it shows you guys in Dead Moon getting kicked off after four songs in Atlanta, speaking of the Black Lips. Who was that that you were opening for, and why were you kicked off after six songs? Oh, that was Black Motorcycle whatever club. Oh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The British band. I don't know who they were. They were just... They wanted to be rock stars and they act like rock stars. That's not our mode and that's not how we uh, do business. It's just, uh, yeah. Fred, who played on Deep Soul Coal? Because there's a great song called Poverty Shack. Who played on that? Um... He, he just went down to shag another beer. Oh, okay. Thank you, Tootie. Uh, yeah. Um, on that one, um, the, the backup singers uh, from the old Shindig series called The Blossoms are singing backup. And um, um, Where did you guys find that acetate? From what I understand, Fred found that acetate. It was one of Fred's earlier bands, a soul band. Where did you find the acetate? We just happened to be looking through a bunch of stuff, looking for something else. We're total pack rats. And we just happened to be looking for something else. And maybe it was for uh, the DVD on a passage. I don't quite remember. But at some point, we were just looking, trying to find something else. And he found that by accident. And he didn't, didn't even remember that he had this acetate, uh, you know, that he did when he was, like, 15 years old. And uh, so he found it, and uh, he told Hans about it. And Hans goes, oh, i got to put this on my... Uh, uh, you know, on my 60s series, you know, no problem with that. So, and it was, uh, um... The name of the band is Deep Soul Coal. Right, uh, and who played guitar on that? Was Larry... Well, I played bass. Well, yeah, Fred played the bass, and then Larry Williams played... Larry the, Williams, yeah. Played the guitar. And How about drums? He's an old soul artist that wrote uh, Bonnie Maroney. And did he write Slow Down, too? The what? Did he write Slow Down, too? I don't know. He did uh, Bodie Moroni. He was famous for that. He had uh, Eldorado Records, and the Blossoms were the uh, black girls that did the backup in that. And they used to be, do uh, Shindig and Hullabaloo when uh, Tina Turner and Rolling Stones and all that stuff were here on uh, U.S. TV. Yeah. After Deep Soul Cole, Fred Cole, Fred Cole from the Pierce Arrows, also 2D from the Pierce Arrows, playing tomorrow night at the Railway Club with the Manipulators and the Vicious Circles, you had the Lollipop Shop slash the Weeds, and you guys were signed to Uni Records, which is interesting. It seems like a big company, like Elton John, Neil Diamond, the Drudes of Stonehenge are on Uni. 
Yeah. Well, it was basically, you know, kind of a, 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 a pass-off from um, Universal Studios and, you know, whatever. At, at the point, yeah, it was a big it was a big label. Well, it was. And the recordings sound great. Where was that all recorded, Fred? Because the recordings, I think, sound great and totally sound up. In fact, stand up. In fact, I listened to them, and I think it could be the Piristeros. I get all mixed up. I don't even know what I'm hearing. It's so great that you've continued with everything. But how big a studio was that? That was that gold star. Yeah. Again, the legendary gold star. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, everything in music becomes incestuous after a while. It's like everybody shares the same practice space. Everybody does the same yeah. studio. Everybody, and at that point, you know, it's not like there was probably, uh, you know, back in the day, that many different studios that were working with whoever. So. You know, hey, it's just you like know, you, you just you just kept bumping into people that were working on their projects. You're working on your projects. None of you are incredibly famous right now, and none of you know who's going to become incredibly famous and who's going to be kind of secondary. You know, it's kind of was yeah. one of the cool things about the we whole thing. We did the uh, preliminary recording, which was basically live at Gold Star, and then we went and did all the uh, overdubs and stuff at uh, RCA. And that was where we did the uh, Cortina and all the, you know, the, the one with the Concertina and uh, overdubs, which were nothing. I did all my vocals live at Gold Star. And uh, the only overdubs we did was uh, the, um, uh, oh, God, some of the uh, orchestrational stuff that we did later on on Shamley uh, at RCA, and we did, uh, uh, we brought the guy in from uh, Lawrence Welk <laughs> to do uh, the, the curtailing, you know, uh, in the... Baby uh, Don't Go. Baby Don't Go, yeah. or something, whatever yeah. that was, uh, you know, the, the, you know. Squeezebox. Squeezebox, yeah. Did the Weeds ever do any gigs with the Seeds? Oh, tons. That's why we had the same manager, Lord Tim. That's why that's why the Weeds was changed from the Weeds to, to the Lollipop Shop is because we had this problem with Seeds and Weeds owned by the same manager trying to get us in on the same deal. He had to come up with... Uh, Uni at that point was looking for a, uh, a bubblegum type group. We were so young that... They were said, all oh, like yeah, 18, 19, 17, you know? 18, 19. So that's why they changed our name. And uh, I'm still pissed to this day about that. That's why <laughs> we put out this, this reproduction of uh, Lollipop Shop to let people know that we were the weeds. A.K.A. the weeds, yeah. Yeah. We wrote all that stuff and did all those songs before the Lollipop Shop. Well, you loved the name Weeds. You named your son Weedin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you ever see the Sonics play at all, Tootie? Yeah. Do you remember where? Um, it was at uh, what, what they called the Trips Festival here in Portland. Um, and the Weeds played on that same particular bill. And when I was there that night, I think that was the first time I ever saw the Sonics. Um, I saw the Kingsman when I was in about the eighth grade. At a at a sock hop in a well, local you paid way too much. yeah a quarter to get in uh, at a local <laughs> no, uh, you know high school whatever the hell 
Um, Mike and us still yeah, laugh about I think, that. I think one of the, the few bands I didn't get a chance to hear actually live were Paul Revere and the Raiders because they used to play uh, this local place in Portland called the Division Street Corral, which is way out in southeast Portland, uh, but it was kind of a, a notorious uh, uh, whatever, and I just wasn't allowed to go there. Okay, but... <laughs> It was a it was meat a, market. Uh, was what, we call, meat what we market. call a meat bar, but it wasn't even yeah. a bar. It was a, it was an all-age venue. At that point, there was a lot of all-age venues in Portland. Does Mark Lindsay have some... Pregnant. Doesn't Mark Lindsay have some sort of restaurant in Portland, too? Yeah, he's got a restaurant yeah. and uh, a hotel, but I know he's got well, a restaurant. Well, the, the Portland Hall of Fame, all that stuff's in there, too. Right, yeah. He's kind of uh, uh, Oregon Hall of Fame. Come back, come back to his Fame. own and uh, dealing with this and that and whatever. Yeah. yeah. When you guys were in Europe, did you see Arthur Lee at all? Because he did some reunion gigs in Europe. No, honestly, we never had a chance to see Arthur. The only cool thing about Arthur is that he came back, and uh, from what I understand, from all the Europeans and whoever I've talked to, he was he had incredible. one amazing tour. Yeah. And um, and I love to see that. To me, anybody that can make that kind of a comeback is amazing. And um, I understand that he pulled it off, and he just amazed people. I've heard, you know, different things about different artists where they've been disappointed. Or with Europeans, it's really funny. If, if you're kind of this living, you achieve this living legend status, they will go wherever and pay whatever to see you at some particular point. Um, and what has always killed me about the Europeans is almost like they've got a, a better idea of uh, American musical history uh, than most Americans ever will, and they really prize that. And it's really a big thing over there. So uh, was just I love to hear that Arthur Lee does such an amazing job. You know, so sorry to hear he's he's gone, and uh, what an amazing talent. How about Sky Saxon? He had the Seeds up and running a few years ago, and I actually saw him in Vancouver, and I know he's done some tours, and I think he even lived in Seattle or Portland for a bit. Well, he's, oh, he's, li he's lived up and down the West Coast. We ran into him in Greece, and, uh, and, and again, uh, when we were here with the Black Lips in Portland, <laughs> he was happened to be in Portland at the time, and he came up on stage at our gig uh, with the Black Lips when they were playing on stage, and they happened to do one of his songs. And uh, it came up great, but, you know, it's just like, this guy doesn't know where he's at anymore. You know, it's just really a sad thing. Well, thanks so much, Fred and Tootie, from the Pierce Daryls. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Oh, I just can't tell you all how much we're all three of us are looking forward to being able to come up to Vancouver again. It's just kind of been, um, I don't know, it's like the distant relative you haven't seen for a long time. And uh, you and just, just kind of want to go there and, you know, and, and I, I'm really happy to see this door open. And, uh, hey, if we get up there and no fucking problems, then, dude, we'll become seeing you more often. Okay? Well, thanks so much, Pierce Darrows, Fred, and Tootie Cool. Keep on rocking in the free world and Out of old cardboard, apple 
great boxes he used to build to go.
of CITR News.